0: Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Savannah Lane, and I am the program's director at THO. Just wanted to provide a little bit of an introduction about THO, what we are doing in light of everything that is developing right now in regards to COVID-19 and our program today, of course. So THO, if you are not familiar, is a young independent nonprofit, uh, 501c3, that promotes discussion and dialogue surrounding U.S.-Turkey relationships. We organize events programs, research, and publications surrounding a variety of six critical issues surrounding the U.S. church relationship, including security, education, humanitarian aid, energy, economy, technology. And of course, now, in light of everything that is happening, uh, we are moving towards virtual events, webinars, and teleconferences. We have a robust number of programs, including THO Contributors academic liaisons, and non-resident fellows from around the world. So every week we are putting out new research, uh, new articles, analysis, op-eds, and briefings on uh, a range of issues, not just surrounding U.S.-Turkey relations, but foreign policy in general. So stay tuned with everything that is coming up on our website. You can find more information at www.turkheritage.org. And we are also releasing a new podcast this week. So we are going to be keeping you all up to date and doing our best uh, as the rest of the world uh, to transition to, uh, you know, really a more virtual and, uh, you know, connected digital world than ever before. Today we have a really interesting conversation. Uh, We're going to be hosting uh, a really interesting speaker on the latest developments of Syrian refugees and Turkey's ongoing response featuring Dr. Mehmet Gul. I do want to let you all know that this recording will be at the podcast will be recorded. So we are going to have this featured on our website. We're going to have a full summary uh, as well, but I did want to mention before we dive into introductions and uh, the speaker today, let him brief you all and have time for questions at the end. I did want to let you know that we have another upcoming event very soon. Next Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, we're going to host uh, Dr. Steven Sustanovich. He is the professor for the Practice of International Diplomacy at Columbia University, and it's going to be a conversation on transatlantic relations. So while we are all uh, learning how to work remotely and uh, transitioning in this time, we want to make sure that we are providing you all with uh, the best resources, uh, you know, dynamic conversations that we can, and, uh, you know, a more interesting uh, pop topic of conversation, not just the latest developments in COVID-19, but really what else is uh, impacted around the world from this situation. I know that our guest speaker will be joining us in one minute, uh, but I do want to let you all know just a little bit about this speaker and then how today's teleconference is going to work. So Dr. Mehmet Bululu is the president of AFAD, which is Turkey's Presidency of Disaster and Emergency Management Authority. AFAD is the Disaster and Emergency Management of the Presidency of Turkey. They were established in 2009 to take necessary measures for an effective emergency management and civil protection issues uh, in Turkey, uh, surrounding Turkey and nationwide issues. The presidency conducts uh, pre-incident work, such as preparedness, mitigation, and risk management. During incidents work, they they focus on response, post-incident work, such as recovery and reconstruction, and more. Obviously, uh, they are dealing with a lot, as is the rest of the world, in responding to uh, this worldwide pandemic. Um, But before assuming this role of Assad president, Dr. Gololu worked as Director General of Turkish Red Crescent from 2013 to 2017, and he has also actively taken part in many of the world's crisis regions and projects related to Syrian refugees and people of need in Turkey. Uh, So I will turn it over to him in just a moment. We're thrilled to have him speak to us today, but I wanted to let you all know that the way this is going to work is uh, Dr. Gula is going to provide a briefing um, on everything that is happening surrounding the latest developments of the Syrian refugees and Turkey's response. And pending time, uh, hopefully we will have time for audience questions. So I will cue you again at the end, but... If you, have, uh, if you have a question, you will be able to click your keypad and do one, two, three, four, or five on your keypad, either one, and you will be able to be queued in for a question. So I am going to turn it over to Dr. Balogu. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you giving us the latest developments from the ground there in Turkey.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, maybe a little bit of technical issues. Uh, hello, can you hear me? Perfect. Yes. Go ahead. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, and sorry for five minutes. Uh, first of all, let me to uh, I mean introduce. Oh, you already introduced myself and also about our role. Currently, I am the head of AFAD. AFAD is Turkey's disasters and emergency management agency, but also uh, dealing with humanitarian needs on behalf of Turkish government. And our activities, uh, for seven years, we were dealing with uh, Syrian refugees in Turkey, uh, which are under temporary protection. From March 2011 to March 2018, Afad was responsible for camps and for urban refugees in all around Turkey. And since the operation started in uh, September 2016, Afad is responsible also for humanitarian activities inside Syria. For Idlib, I want to make a I mean, short briefing about what's happening and what's happened. And I want to remind you what happened in the last two, three years. Because if you want to understand what's happening for today, Idlib, we should look for three years, what happened in the last three years. In uh, 5th of May in 2017, Idlib, is, Idlib was one of the uh, four uh, de-escalation zone areas. Uh, which came was, was East Kuta, Hama, Humus and Idlib was one of the that four de-escalation zone areas and in this time period of time you know we all followed about what happened in Sochi, what happened in Astana uh, the meetings in Ankara, the meetings in Moscow, in Tehran, and different places of this process and if you come to the, just one year before in May 2019 until May 2019 the other three of the de-escalation zones is nearly Over And all of the opposition people are pushed uh, to move to Idlib and other uh, northern Syria. In May 2019, there was a really hard attack to the Khan Sheikhoun. And there are also some claims about chemical weapons are used. And in December 2019, there was really big attack to Maaret al-Numan. And between this May and December, around 600,000 people are displaced. In last one year, more than one million people is displaced. One of the difficult things for these people are, these people are the first displaced people. I mean, they are, they are displaced firstly in their life. Inside Syria or the refugees in Turkey, in Europe, or in Jordan, or in Lebanon, they are not displaced in the first problem. They are displaced maybe two times, three times, four times, in the country, they were IDPs, and then they are displaced to the other countries, and then to the Europe. In Egypt, what happened in Idlib, in, in Khan Sheikhoun, in Maret el numan these are towns or villages in Idlib. They are normal Idlib people, they are Idlibians. But after the attacks, unfortunately, they are displaced. They left their houses, and they started to live in Idlib, in northern part of the Idlib, but now in tents or in small houses. When we look at the maps of OCHA, uh, about the, which shows uh, the areas which are controlled, there are lots of times the colors are changed. The opposition is controlling, the regime is controlling, ISIS is controlling, PYD is controlling, the colors are changed. Mm. But what is important that when a color changes, I mean, when a place is controlled by different parties, it means a lot for the people in there. It is not just to say only the color is changed in the in humanitarian map. When the color is changed in Humus, it means that people in that area are pushed to the northern side. When the color is changed in East Kota, the people are in there. Most of them are pushed by buses, uh, by obligation, and they are sent to the Idlib or other opposition-controlled areas. And when we we'll compare all of these maps, from starting from March 2017, uh, till now there are maybe five times six times the maps it means that who is controlling that area is changed and what does it mean about this placement mostly they are from northern and uh, eastern and western part of Idlib uh, sorry from south part from eastern and west part to the northern part it means that to the border of Turkey they are pushed just in the 10 kilometers diameter of Turkish border more than one and a half million people are living Living in the camps, it is in fact so called camps because there are not that much regular camps. Uh, Most of them are tent camps, but like the one in Atme, it is just next to the border. It is between, I mean, just behind the border, not uh, something far away from the border. Uh, Just in Atme, more than 600,000 people are living. It was a tent camp, but by time it turned into the uh, Biriket houses. Uh, we asked uh, to the refugees in Turkey, why did you come to Turkey? And uh, there's a very concrete idea about why they are displacing. 80% of them said that because of the fear of death. I mean, people are displaced because of their, uh, their <laughs> scared of being killed. Uh, we cannot say that they can live under the control of the regime because there are some samples. Uh, some, I mean, just simple families even who uh, try to stay in that regime controlled area when the opposition uh, is living in there, unfortunately they are killed because of if they find any link to any opposition party, this this is enough reason for that and again when we ask uh, them how many times were they displaced once, 44%, twice, 31%, three times, 14%, Eleven uh, person for four times. It means that uh, more than fifty percent of them are displaced a couple of times. Uh, for the elderly people, forty-four uh, percent of them are displaced in the first time, in the uh, one time. And uh, again, when we ask about the displaced people, unfortunately, thirty-six of them have uh, lost at least one family member. It also shows us what is the dramatic for the displaced people. And when we look at the sheltering types uh, for the newly displaced people, only 38 of, uh, 38% of them are living in so-called proper uh, housing conditions. It can be rented houses. It can be uh, with the living with another family. 62% of them are living in the tent, uh, maybe collective centers, maybe unfinished houses, or uh, in the same tent, two or three families are living. And when we look at what are the main needs, unfortunately, there are, again, hundreds thousands of people are waiting for need, waiting for support. Uh, Just some figures. More than 800,000 of them are waiting for NFI. More than 500,000 of them are waiting for shelters. Because it was really, in a very short period of time, big displacement happened. That's why all of the mentioned organizations, including UN, including local NGOs, INGOs, us, were not enough for fulfilling for the need. And just a, a short part, what we are doing, uh, we are working in uh, four different areas of the Syria. These are uh, Turkey's response uh, areas, uh, which Turkey made operations against terror organizations. One of them is UFSD areas against ISIS. One of them is Olive Branch area against PKK, PYD. And uh, Peace Spring area uh, called Rasuline and uh, Talabiyat. These are, again, PYD. And Peace Shield area, it is uh, for regime to stop regime's attacks for the civilians. We are working in these all four areas. We have regular camps. We are building the infrastructure of the camps. We are distributing foods. Uh, In Idlib, it is something different than the others because in Idlib, uh, which is the organization called HDH, uh, this is also, uh, I mean, Turkey has big question marks and Turkey was defining this organization as a terrorist organization. So in this area, we are making only humanitarian activities. But in the branch areas, area, Turkey is building hospitals, Turkey is building schools, repairing or building schools. Turkey is giving salaries for the local doctors and Turkey is trying to rebuild the system with the local council. If we want to speak for the future of Syria, I think Turkey is really putting uh, some best practices, or I cannot say best, but some uh, samples, some good practices uh, for the which, can, which Syrians can use for the future of Syria. As a conclusion, I want to say some a, a couple of, maybe cliches, but which we are witnessing every day. Humanitarian aid, what we are doing is not a part of solution. What we are doing is only can be a palliative solution uh, for the uh, needs of the people. We should be really focusing on the root causes. Uh, The solution of root causes is less costly. If you can stop the attacking, believe me that it will be just, uh, I mean, cheaper than the, even only for shelter, only for food. Even in this elite uh, need, we cannot have time and energy for speaking education. Because for the first steps, we are trying to fulfill the first steps of the Marshall's needs of hierarchy. Humanitarian actors should put pressure on politics. I know that some of uh, the audiences are from maybe humanitarian actors or the advocacy agencies. These are really important because sometimes politics politicians may think differently. But when we discuss about when we look from the parts of the civilians, I think we should be making pressure on the politics and politicians. At the end, none of us choose where to board. The danger of radicalization should not be ignored, because at the end, I mean, when we look at, I'm not a terror expert, but when we look at the, the history of the terrorism, it can find some reasons, it can find some sources from these kind of places. That's why the danger of radicalization shouldn't be forgotten Uh, the situation like in Idlib and at the end a system should be established for trade burden sharing. Turkey is, as all of the people knows uh, who are in uh, this uh, this speech, uh, this conversation knows that Turkey is uh, hosting about 4 million cities only, plus just more than 3 million people are in Idlib and more than 1 million people are in area and in Uh, in African region that's why Turkey's efforts uh, cannot be enough for totally about 8 million people Uh, these people need much more humanitarian support and that's why burden sharing must be uh, really we should be covering for them uh, for their needs otherwise what happened in 2015 Turkey wanted uh, much more support for uh, a buffer zone or safe zone inside Syria but couldn't uh, may be accepted by other countries, maybe coalition countries, then in 2015, Europe's migration crisis started. It wasn't only limited with Europe's migration crisis, for all over the world, and much more million refugees uh, or IDPs uh, came on the result. If we uh, want to speak, I know that in these uh, days, weeks, or months, all of us uh, have different agenda, but at the end, people in Idlib... People in Yemen, people in Afghanistan, people in Iraq—it also in the, it should be in the agenda of the foreign policy. Uh, what's happening in It shouldn't be forgotten, and we should be looking how we can create better solutions. Thank you very much. I hope that uh, what I said was understandable. Uh, and if there is any questions, I want to answer.
0: Thank you so much. That was great. Uh, Really appreciate your uh, briefing. I did want to, as I mentioned, leave time for audience questions, so we have quite a lot of people on the call from US government, foreign embassies, media, and think tanks. So again, this is a reminder, if you are interested in asking a question, go ahead on your keypad and dial any number, one through five, and you will be automatically added into the queue. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to our first question from the queue.
3: first question will go to Jennifer Schaefer. Jennifer, go ahead with your question.
0: Sorry. Um, Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm a non-resident research fellow at THO. My question was, how does the coronavirus um, impact your ability to Uh, administer aid and refugee services in Syria. Uh, I mean, in fact, we are following
2: with the health uh, NGOs in this. Uh, We know that on the regime side, although it's not reported that much officially, but on the IDP side, it's not reported yet. We are following with the local NGOs. Uh, But for us, uh, Turkish staff and uh, Syrian staff, Syrian uh, partners, not direct our stuff there. Uh, partners was going on, uh, going and coming between Turkey and Syria. We decreased the number of the people who is making that passage because you know that the human transferring is important and we wanted to uh, decrease the uh, potential passage for that. That's why uh, but we are uh, close following with the local agencies uh, if there is any need
3: and we are trying to support uh, for this corona, COVID
0: Thank you so much, right, and we you. do have another one in the queue. We'll go ahead and cue the next question.
3: Second question. We'll go to Rich alton uh,
4: Thank you, and uh, sir, thank you for the uh, very good uh, presentation. Uh, we appreciate. Uh, everything that Afad and uh, Turkey have done uh, for the uh, Syrian uh, victims and uh, of the civil war and uh, the regime oppression and and also of uh, the terrible conditions there. My question is about Afad's uh, plans for coordination with international partners. Uh, I work with U.S. State partners, and uh, we are looking at uh, different ways to expand cooperation both uh, through U.N. organizations and especially of concern to the U.S. is uh, with uh, non-governmental organizations, uh, international and local. What can the U.S. or what can Afad and the Turkish government do to increase cooperation across the border and between the regions uh, in Idlib and the other regions that Afad is working in uh, to, to maximize cooperative efforts?
2: Thank you very much for that question because that's important. Uh, in fact, we have a close cooperation between UN agencies, mainly UN OCHA and other organizations. Sometimes we are facilitating about what they do, sometimes we direct the work. Uh, we work not only for inside Syria, for their activities in Turkey, of what was one of the very important partners in the camps and for the urban refugees. For inside Syria, including Idlib, it is not that easy for UN organizations uh, to work because it is not an official area which the regime is controlling or uh, like other areas. That's why it is not easy for them. Uh, but I think uh, for the funding of the UN organizations, funding of the local organizations, it should be increased. That's why I can really uh, depend on them. And uh, I can say that there is a much more need with different mechanisms including uh, directly UN or uh, with different partners, with different ways. Uh, what we can do, Afar is also, yes, it's a government agency, but we are also an implementing organizations. We are directly working with ourselves. We are directly working with our partners inside Syria. So if there is any possibility for uh, traditional donors or traditional organizations, we are also ready for uh, working uh, inside Syria, uh, especially like in shelters, like in food and main to maintain activity. Uh but definitely US uh and EU we are also asking for them for inside Syria because really need burden
3: sharing. All right. Our next question is going to go to I apologize, Alan Makovsky. Alan you're thank is you.
5: Unmuted. Yeah I just unmuted, yes. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, yes you. Uh I Dr. Guluolo, thank you very much for that presentation. It's, we really don't get much uh, reporting about Idlib these days, as you can imagine. Um, and that's very helpful. I just wanted to ask you, uh, since you've obviously done a lot of surveying among the people on the border area, how much uh, concern is there that they will try to cross the border and why do you think they have not so far? Um, and uh, second of all I just a short answer question I wanted the schools that you have set up is the language of instruction Turkish, Arabic, Kurdish or some combination of those? So two questions actually. Yeah. Thank you yeah, very yeah, much I got
2: it. The first question
5: the first question, in
2: fact, we are talking about the nine years is over and we have started, we started for the 10th year. It means that these people, it is not their first time to be in the border. Uh, yes, if there is any possibility, they want to pass the Turkish side because of the A-bombing. But what Turkey is saying that there is now a safe zone area which is called Olive Branch area or uh, in Idlib, Turkey wants to wanted to do that, and I hope it is realized, <laughs> or in U area. There is now a safe zone area, which is no airplane is flying, no air bombardment, no barrel bomb is coming. That's all. what Turkey is saying that, if possible, I will let you, I will give you shelter conditions, I will give you food, uh, and please stay in the other side. And uh, in fact, it is not just saying by police, uh, we are also uh, as I said, building the hospital, giving the salaries of the health staff, giving salaries for the, uh, the teachers, the public services, we are, Turkey is supporting for them. It is not just saying; it is also realizing for them. That's why what Turkey is saying that, instead of passing to Turkey side, because Turkey is already hosting uh, more than 3.6 million, on the other side, we gave you a free area, safe area, please stay in that side. For the second question, what is the language of the uh, education in the inside Syria? As it should be happening, it is in Arabic or it is in Kurdish. It is naturally what it was. What Turkey is doing that uh-huh. as a foreign language, Turkey is giving only Turkish as foreign language. Otherwise, it is uh, in the uh, Kurdish area, it is Kurdish; in the Arabic area, it is Arabic.
5: I see. And are you using the textbooks? The textbooks they were using before, or you've introduced? New textbooks. Sorry, I don't understand. The the textbooks. Okay, text why
2: why why new textbooks? Okay, I got it. Because I mean, in the regime side, in the regime time, the what, when uh, Turkish authorities and the local councils checked for the textbooks, it was really putting Turkey as an enemy, uh-huh. and uh, like one of the Hatay, uh, which is one of the provinces of Turkey. Is still uh, shot in the inside the borders of the Syria, and when they talk about uh, Turkish history, it is like a history of an enemy.
6: Huh.
2: That's why these are checked with the Syrians, and then uh, textbooks are renewed.
3: I see. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Our next question is going to go to Matthew Petty. Matthew, your line is unmuted.
1: Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can? Hi. Yes, um, my question is uh, whether you've seen coronavirus cases, um, not in Idlib itself, but among the Syrian refugees who are living in Turkey, um, and whether, because Syria, we don't really know anything about the amount of corona there, but in Turkey there have been, uh, large numbers of cases reported, and are you concerned about refugees living in Turkey bringing the coronavirus back into Syria? Uh, I couldn't understand the, the last sentence. Can you repeat again? Uh, are you concerned with with Syrian refugees who are living in Turkey um, okay. catching the coronavirus in Turkey and then bringing it back to Syria?
2: In fact, the coronavirus, uh, by the way, I am also a medical doctor, uh, it is same risk for everybody. If there is a close contact, the risk is increasing. It doesn't matter if Syrian or a Turkish or a U.S. citizens. That's why the main thing is about if there is a close contact or not. Until now, as I know, by the, by the way, I don't know the name by name, but it's not reported for Syrians, but if we see it, it will be not surprising uh, for anybody. Uh, for Syrians, who will take it to the inside Syria? In fact, in these days, the passage is very limited. Uh, that's why, in these days, we are not wait, we are not ex- I mean, uh, accepting or waiting something like that. But uh, it is always there the possibility for anybody. Uh, but in these days, as I said, the the, the passage from Turkish side to the Syria or from Syria to the Turkish side is very limited. That's why the possibility is very few. But if it happens, I mean, it can be. The coronavirus uh, or COVID can come to anybody. The important thing is that personal or the community level cautions if we realize and we can I mean, make it happen, then the, uh, the possibility will be decreasing. Otherwise, it doesn't matter uh, a Syrian or
3: a Turkish or, a, or which side of the Turkey. We have time for two to three more questions, so please press one through five, any number between one through five on your phones or your computer keypad. And the next question will go to
6: Hamdi Rifai. Hamdi, your line live. Uh, hi, how are you? Uh, this is Hamdi Rifai. Thank you very much. Thank you for the Thank taking. you for the opportunity to ask your question. I, I guess my, I'm wondering what role the US is playing with Turkey and Idlib, if anything, to address the coronavirus situation and whether you see that there's going to be any impact from the legislation that was passed in the U.S., the Caesar uh, Protection Act, whether that's going to affect uh, any of the ability to, uh, to address issues in Idlib. Uh, what we have
2: role uh, in Turkey, uh, in fact, there are, we have some uh, people who came from different countries into the quarantine for 14 days. And with Turkish Red Crescent and APA, we are responsible for their sheltering, for their nutrition, for their hygiene, and for their follow-up. Uh, until now, we hosted more than 20,000 people. Some of them have ended their quarantine period. Some of them are still under the quarantine period in Turkey. And also, uh, in Turkey, we have some cautions. Uh, we have some measures that, for example, one of them is that more than uh, who, people, for elderly people who are over 65, there is a limitation for them to go outside. And with Turkish police, Turkish gendarmerie, with AFAD, with NGOs, with local authorities, we are taking care of them. Uh, our teams also have a role in that. For the possibility of what it can raise in Egypt, as I said, we started to give some, uh, some uh, permissions and also support for the needs of isolation and also for medical needs. Uh, We are close to following, it can be, Uh, but as I said, until now, it's not reported yet. Uh, If there is any other question which I couldn't understand in the second part of your question, please repeat.
6: Really more about the U.S.'s role, whether the U.S. is is partnering with Turkey now to address the situation, at least on a health basis, uh, to prevent the spread of coronavirus in Idlib. And then, of course, okay. whether uh, any, any accommodation or issue is forecasted uh, from the protection, the Caesar Protection Act, legislation that was passed here in the United States that will add more sanctions and that is going to be going into effect soon. Is it expected that that will impact uh, the ability of Turkey or the NGOs in Idlib to address the coronavirus outbreak?
2: Okay. In fact, what I will say is not something official uh, opinion, but my personal opinion, uh, and I believe it's important. Yes, in these days, in these weeks and months, maybe last two, three months, uh, the main agenda for most of us, uh, for nearly all of the globally, is coronavirus. But when we look at the Idlib, in fact, the main agenda in Egypt is not coronavirus. They still need uh, the main shelter needs, they still need the, I mean, for food security needs. They still need for basic health services. And the basic winter basic needs uh, still their uh, main agenda. Uh, yes, the questions for, uh, or what we should do for corona in Idlib, it's an important idea. It's an important thing we should be discussing. But still in Idlib, uh, we are trying to build new brick houses for them in the same speed as one or two months ago. Because they still they are still uh, living under tents, and nobody knows how many months or how many years it can continue. Uh, we are at least we are trying to give them better conditions. I mean, compared to the tents uh, for living. And again, as all of the world knows, just a couple of months ago, we were looking for uh, even Turkish soldiers, Turkish martyrs. We gave for the benefit of the civilians, for the saving of the civilians in there. That's why, unfortunately, still in Italy, corona is not the main agenda. But what we can do more, of course, how to make isolation, how to give better uh, health conditions, how to at least for defining, uh, for diagnosing. Uh, I know that we are following, there are some tomographies that, as I said, as a medical doctor, we know that uh, from my friends also, uh, for diagnosis, not only the, the kit. I mean, PCR, DNA, or RNA-based kits are used. Tomography is also used. Uh, There are still proper, I mean, so-called proper uh, tomographies are working in there, but they can need much more health services. Uh, Turkey's Ministry of Health Health is also uh, following for that, but I know that when it raises, or if there is any possibility of uh, increasing the uh, numbers which are increased, they will need much more for that. But as I said, this is the second agenda
3: for people in need. To... Bear with us, everyone. We have a number of questions, and we're going to do our best to get through all of them. Dr. Golo, we have received a question via message, and I'm going to read this question to you. It comes from Vanessa Ricky, who is on the call, and it is a two-part question. The first part is: What kind of action plan does the government have concerning the healthcare system, especially in the border area of Syria and Turkey, as hospitals? Etc. are heavily burdened already due to the amount of refugees living in those areas? Are they going to build some pop-up hospitals there? How about that need for extra doctors and nurses? And the second part of that question is, in Turkey, there are a lot of unregistered refugees. Some of them don't have an official place to stay, an official address. What kind of action plan does the government have to spread the information about the coronavirus for them? And that comes from Vanessa
1: Ricky.
6: Uh, for
2: the first part of the question, Turkey's support in the inside Syria is really huge, especially for medical side for medicine needs. Uh, first of all, the building uh, hospitals inside there, and also paying for the local doctors and nurses, I think will be one of the important power for if there is any need uh, for this Corona uh, virus inside Syria. And for the uh, border. Uh, as I said, uh, we decreased the passage of Turkish people or Syrian people who are working inside Syria. If Syrians are working inside Syria, we are want we wanted them to stay inside Syria. And as I said, we decreased the number of Turkish citizens who are passing inside Syria. Uh, for the, I mean, uh, refugees in Turkey who are not registered, I mean, as I said, we gave it this role two years ago to another department, but as I know, There are not that big numbers. But even for that big numbers, in Turkey, I think the health system is one of the, I will not be humble, one of the best systems in the world. Uh, For emergency services, it is free for anybody. Uh, And for corona treatment, you don't pay any uh, money because this is a public health problem. Uh, The government cannot say that I will not treat you. That's why for anybody, including Syrian refugees, uh, or anybody, it doesn't matter from which nation, if it is diagnosed and if there is any symptoms of the corona, it will be treated or they will be getting currency by Turkish government
3: for free. All right, and next question goes to Fatma Aytac. Go ahead, your line is unmuted. Fatma. Oh,
1: sorry. Uh, can you hear me? If yes, I can hear you, uh, Yes, uh, uh, Mehmet Bey. Uh, thank you very much for this presentation and uh, for the information you provided. Uh, I really, uh, I really wonder. I mean, about the test, coronavirus test in in this, in that region. Uh, so, in uh, I I just uh, looked the figures in the Southeast area of t- Turkey, there are very limited number of coronavirus cases, but, you know, in that uh, refugee camps, uh, once it is seen, uh, for sure that it's going to be spread very rapidly. So I, uh, my concern is uh, do, do we have enough tests uh, for these uh, camps and do we have enough health uh, services in that area? I think somebody else also asked the same question. If you give more information,
2: Lai, I will appreciate. Thank you. Sure, sure. Uh, in fact, the question, your question, uh, was more important two years ago, because two years ago the number of the people, the number of the Syrians living in the camps was 260,000. But for today, uh, about 200,000 uh, are now living in the cities. Only 60,000 are living in the camps. Because what Turkey gave another decision that uh, it is enough for the people who are living in the tent camps for six years, for seven years. That's why it started two years ago. Uh, Turkey started to close tent camps. There are only 60,000 people are living only in the container camps. Uh, and for 60,000 people, uh, and, uh, the control or the health needs of them are uh, easy for Turkey uh, and the health capacity for them is enough for them to cover because sixty thousand uh, is,
3: I mean, like a small town in Turkey. All right. And next question would go to Celine. Celine, your line is unmuted.
7: Hi, um, Doctor Geliole. Thank you so much for the information. Um, I have a question. I have seen the Afad camps before they were closed. They were very well-functioning camps, and um, uh, so now that they're emptied, what are those places being used for? And also another question um, related to this one is that I have seen a lot of um, makeshift camps from the uh, Syrians that are living in Turkey, living and uh, working in agricultural fields, and um, so uh, these Camps, these makeshift camps, are in very dire situation. There's no running water, no toilets, um, no education. The children, pretty much, um, uh, a lot of them don't go to school. So um, I was wondering if Afad is aware of this and if there's anything being done because um, uh, hygiene being the issue uh, at this time in point, protecting the hygiene and the health of those people is protecting everybody basically.
2: Thank you very much for the question. Uh, What those camps will be? In fact, Turkey is a very disaster prone area, mainly earthquakes and some others. That's why these are, uh, I mean, some good capacity for us for possible needs. And probably you know that two months ago we had an uh, earthquake in Elazut. And even we used some of the materials from those camps, it was very quick capacity for us. Uh, For the second part of your question, in fact, this is an a fact of Turkey for employees in agriculture and the moving people from different cities for uh, employing in agriculture. In fact, it's not a disaster. And in, I mean, this is my opinion that we cannot call them as uh, makeshift camps because these, these are not, uh, let's say that, I mean, 100 families or hundred tents, a couple of tents in different uh, different camps, uh, for agriculture. Turkey is already, I mean, not related to the, these health conditions. Turkey is, was already planning something to change about the agricultural employees. In these days, Turkey is nearly every day or in every two days, Turkey is increasing the quotients and the uh, limitations for the people. Uh, for the uh, those people who are moving for the agricultural employing is also under the concern. Uh, we will have some Uh, I mean, some measures and some activities, Uh, one of them is which will be covered under AFAT will be the hygiene needs of them, Uh, I mean, for shower, for proper uh, toilet conditions, will be covered by Apat.
0: But this is not something, uh, just the problem for today. Thank you so much for all of your questions to the audience. And thank you so much, Dr. Bulolu, for your time today. This brief was very informative. I want to remind everyone that we do have a teleconference next week, April 7th, with Dr. Stephen Sustanovich. Stay up to date with everything THO is doing at org, And thank you all so much for joining this call.
2: Thank you very much for all of uh, the questioners and the listeners. And uh, greetings
3: from Turkey. Thank you.